welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! We've been in this series called All Things New. I was thinking about this during worship. Like, think back to the time when there were some things that were new in your life, what it felt like. Or think back better yet to the time when you maybe first ever realized that Jesus Christ was legit and you had an encounter and he was too legit to quit. Think about that time in your life. When it was all, and then, you know, time goes by, things, we get dull, we get calloused, we get, you know, we go through stuff, we go through trials, we get a little hard, we lose that softness. It's easy to lose the softness. The Bible says that if we delight ourselves in God, he will give us the desires of our heart. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That word delight literally means to keep soft, to stay soft. Because we can get hard through hard times, right? But to stay soft through hard times is really the challenge. To stay vulnerable, broken towards him in hard times is the challenge. You have a rough season maybe in your career. You can get hard towards your boss, hard towards your coworkers. The challenge is always to stay soft because when you're soft, you're actually able to receive and grow. When you're hard, nothing can get in. You tracking with me? I want you to think back to when the, the you know, things were new in your life with your relationship with Jesus. Think about what that felt like. Think about how soft you were. Think about how, you know, it was easy to see God in everything. It was easy to see God everywhere. But then time goes by, and like I said, we can get callous. God wants to bring us back there. I had a dream last night, and I believe it's very uh, prophetic for this morning and this season, about this exactly, about going back to the beginning. Some of us need to go back to the beginnings of these moments in our life to see a reawakening happen again of the softness of our heart because there's been a hardness that's come in. Maybe you can't receive from people anymore. You can't receive from leaders. You can't receive from, you know, you're like, I I bought it. I've I've heard it all, seen it all, bought the T-shirt, which is one of the worst mentalities you can have. You never stop growing. On this side of heaven, you never stop growing. You never stop growing. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much experience you have. You've never stopped growing. You never stop growing. And the fact that you're here on a Sunday, bright and early, because you were all on time, right? Congratulations. You were all here at 930. And because you were all here at 930, that shows that your heart is soft towards the things of God. You're open. There's an openness to you. Hopefully, you're not just running in the routine, that you stay soft towards what God wants to do and speak in your life. And, and I, I really believe that God wants us to go back to the beginnings in some way. Three things that are shaping this year, not only for us, but I believe God is speaking it over the body of Christ, especially in Canada. Three revelations which I believe are like the, 
architectural blueprints that change and help us develop new landscape in our life. Three revelations that I believe God is speaking is the revelation of community. Come on, say it, community. The revelation of, I'm forgetting what the second one was now. I'm forgetting. <laughs> generosity. <laughs> I'm forgetting. The revelation of generosity. And the third one is the revelation of the gospel. And we started that last week. And we went through this in three weeks. We're kind of on our fourth week, extending out to finish what we started last week. And we were talking last week about understanding the new you. Understanding the new you. But these are, are revelations. When you say the word revelation, just for those of you that, you know, you hear Christian words like that. And I wouldn't even call them Christian words because it's a, it's a word that most people do understand. But the word revelation simply means to have something so unveiled that it transforms your life. You see clearly. The rain is gone. You can see clearly. I can, can we sing a song? I can see clearly. Now, well, when the rain goes and you can see clear, that's like the revelation. The revelation of where you need to go. The revelation of what's ahead, what's before you, okay? So when you have a revelation, there's simply an unveiling that happens for the purpose of transformation. And if God is speaking something like these things we're talking about, we're going to unravel them throughout the year. Community, generosity, and the gospel. These things are not just something to happen in a moment. You don't have a revelation just in a moment. A revelation unfolds over time consistently into transformation. Because you can see, you are going to be transformed day after day, glory by glory, strength to strength. So we need to position ourselves in such a way to actually see these things happen. If God says to you, you're going to be the next Elvis Presley, and you never sing a note in your life, well, the chances are you're not going to be the next Elvis Presley. How many Elvis fans in the room? Only one. Man, should I do like the leg thing? Should I? Only one Elvis? Man, this is sad. I'm a huge Elvis fan, by the way. Like massive Elvis. I had Elvis pictures in my bedroom growing up. On my wall. What's that? This is sad. You don't like Elvis Presley? How can you not like Elvis Presley? I'm in the wrong church. So sad. Anyways, the point is... If God has called you to something, if he's called you to something, you have the responsibility to position yourself for it. If you don't try and don't position yourself, and like I said last week, if you don't run for the pass that he's throwing at you, you're not going to catch it. Someone else is going to catch it. I heard someone say one time, I think it was, I think it was Billy Graham. He said, I wasn't his first choice. In the sense of God will choose you to do something and give you the opportunity, but if you don't catch the ball because you don't want it, because you don't run for it, because you don't position yourself, that ball's going to go to somebody else. Because God's work is going to get done one way or another. This is not like a, a you know, Calvinistic approach to the gospel where it's just, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Yes, there is sovereignty. Sovereignty is real, but stewardship is also real. So sovereignty says, I'll do it despite you, despite how messed up you are. I'm so good. I'm sovereign overall. I'm full of grace and truth and mercy. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve and not give you what you do deserve, which is mercy. And I'm going to throw you the pass anyways, and it's going to happen. That's sovereignty. But most of our life is not lived from that place. Otherwise, why do you pray? 
Otherwise, why do you talk to God? Otherwise, why do you go to work? Why do you do what you do? Sovereignty is there because he's sovereign over all and he's God, but he gives us the invitation to come on a journey with him and call, he calls it this, co-laboring with his son. We are co-laborers with Christ as we are also co-heirs with Christ. Walking side by side with Christ. On the cross, one of the last things that happened, you know what it was? It was the spear to the side. The spear to the side symbolizing that from this day forward, my people and me would walk side by side joined at the hip. The same way that God created woman out of man, out of the side of man, is the same way that I am going to walk with my people as companions. We're going to be companion, have companionship, and we're going to walk side by side and be co-heirs and co-laborers, work together. So sovereignty still exists within that space, but stewardship is the majority of our life. Stewardship, come on, say stewardship with me. I want to continue on. Last week we talked about understanding the new you, and this is so important. And I, I, I thought, like, I, I could do this part two and, and get really into, like, the teachy scenario, and I, I think I might. I want to encourage you to take some notes because for some of you, you'll be, this is going to go over your head, and I'm just going to say this straight up. Some of you, this is going to go over your head because maybe you've not read this before. And that's fine. We're all in different spaces. For some of you, you, you've thought a certain way for a very long time, and, and this is going to be some brain surgery. For some of you, you're going to have deliverance this morning from what I say. And for some of you, I don't know. Maybe you'll, just in, you'll be on your phone texting your friends. I have no idea. <laughs> But let's just go back into last week, understanding the new you part two, okay? Understanding the new you part two. Let me just recap a little bit. I opened up the whole message with John chapter 8, verse 40, 44. And we talked about the nature of the enemy and the nature of the greatest attack that will come against you as a spiritual believer. Remember, you are first a spiritual person before you are a human. Okay, you're a spirit being, you're a spiritual person wrapped up in a human costume. That human costume is getting frail, it's getting wrinkly. No amount of Botox is going to fix that human costume. Over time, it's withering away and it's going to die. But your spirit lives on forever. Your spirit is the eternal part of you. You are a spirit being in a human costume, having a human experience while you're on the earth. Okay? So... The greatest, for us to win in victory in life, we have to know, of course, who Jesus is. He's our victory. He's the victorious one. We sang it this morning at the very beginning, and I know that you were all on time, so you all sang it with us, okay? But uh, it, the greatest assault that comes against spiritual believers in Christ is often not what we think it is. The greatest assault that comes over spiritual believers in life is the lies that we believe about ourselves and about God. The lies that we believe about ourselves. And this is where John 8, chapter 44, chapter 8, verse 44 comes in. Jesus is talking to a group of Jews, including some Pharisees. 
and some other Jewish leaders. And it says here, and it's kind of a rebuke. Well, it is a rebuke, but it's pretty aggressive in, in language. It says, Jesus is saying to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. These are people that have a religious faith, that are practicing religion, okay? These are people that know the Torah back and front. They know, you know, the, the first several books of the Bible. They've memorized it, okay? They know it. They're living it out. They're living by the law, both Levitical and Mosaic, even though they, they fail. They, no one can live by the law. And flawlessly, they're living by the letter of the law. Yet they don't know God in relationship. And he says to them, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. That's who he is. So his greatest attack over your life is to get you to believe something about yourself that's not true. You're unloved. You're unloved. You're unloved. Everywhere you go, people reject you. Nobody likes you. You're never going to make it. You're never going to overcome in this area. You're never going to break this addiction. You're never going to win those promises that you have in your, in your heart, these dreams that you have, you believe are going to happen or not going to happen. You begin to partner with those lies. You're always going to be in this position. Your marriage is never going to win, never going never gonna to move forward. Your family is going to break down. Like all these things, this is the way the enemy works. You know why he works this way? Because he's lost all of his authority. And we talked about this last week. Every, you know, the, 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 the authority of the devil, because there is a good and there is an evil. There is a devil and there is a God. The authority of the devil, the power of the devil has been stripped away. It was stripped away from him on the cross. We read this last week. So the only way the enemy can have authority in your life is to get you to believe a lie about something that's not true. The moment you begin to believe, because faith is one of the greatest currencies of heaven. Like, faith is everything. If we believe that God can do it or we believe the devil can do it, like, on either side of the coin, there's going to be some sort of fruit, whether negative or positive. And if you believe the lie over and over again, you're going to begin to, be, you're going to, begin to experience the results and the fruits of that lie. You're unloved. So everywhere you go, you wear an unloved sticker on your forehead, and actually you begin to experience being unloved. Because you're wearing it like a label. You've accepted it. You believe the lie that the enemy told you that you were unloved. And everywhere you go, every relationship that you've ever been in, you get abused and used because you've worn the label. You've called it your identity. You begin to believe the lie. You begin to believe the lie the enemy tells you you're not the gender that you were, you were born with. It's a big one today. So you wear the lie. You begin to wonder. You begin to, yeah, I don't feel like it. I don't feel the feelings of that gender. And you begin to wear the label of confusion. Guess what? You're going to walk around confused. And you're going to confuse everyone around you. You're going to attract confusion. Confused people want to hang out with you. And then a whole bunch of confusion, you'll have a confused community of people that, you'll be, that will be your community. You'll all be confused together. This is what happens. 
right? I'm a horrible, never going to make it businessman. You wear that label. Every time you go into a room with business people, you seem to not be able to break through and break in because you've worn the label. It's become an identity thing. But how about you change the way that you identify yourself? First of all, you are a son. I don't care if you're a woman in here. The Bible calls you a son. The reason for that, because the sons get the inheritance. This is why that language was used. Okay, so you're a son and your daughter. Yes, we get that. But you're a son in the kingdom, okay? You're a son in the kingdom. First, that is your identity. Your spiritual identity is the most important identity. Not your gender. Not anything else. Not any other label that society can put on you. The most important label that you can wear is who you are in Christ. What Christ has planned for you. The destiny he has put over your life. That is the most important label you will ever wear. So if he can get you to believe something that's not true, he will cause you to wear a label that's not true, and you will begin to experience the fruit of that label that you wear every day. This is the way the enemy works. Or how about like, let's apply it to marriages, career, let's apply it to every area of our life for a second. There's areas of our life where we have limiting belief systems. So... Some people, they, 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 have, they have moments of breakthrough, and they're almost anticipating when that breakthrough is going to deflate. They're anticipating they're going to have a moment of breakthrough in their career, in their marriage, in their family, and then they're, they're just waiting for it to fall again. They've accepted a belief system about their journey that's actually a poverty mindset that I am unworthy to live in breakthrough, that I only get momentary ones and it won't last. They've accepted a lie from the enemy that this has always been what's been happening, therefore it will continue to happen. This is the way the enemy works. You believe, you experience. You believe, you receive. And when you receive, you experience. Whether negative or positive, this is the way he works. We feel like, man, God looks at me and he's mad at me and I'm, I'm this horrible sinner. I've made this mistake. And we believe that and we begin to live as a sinner. We begin to do things that we don't want to do because we believe that that's how God sees us. But you know what God says about you? You know his label over you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you feel like you're this horrible person, but God sees righteousness. See, that this is a totally different, this is so important. You feel like you're one gender, but God sees another one. This is a good, good illustration, and if that offends you, I'm sorry. People say, I was born this way. That's why the Bible says, be born again. Because you were born messed up. Well, I was born confused, exactly. So get born again and you won't be confused anymore. John 3, verse 3, unless you're born again, you will not enter or experience the kingdom of God. People who use that experience, I was born this way, exactly. You were born into sin and you need a savior to pull you out of it. All you have to do is accept, say yes, and you'll be born again and now you'll see the light. You'll see right. All that confusion will go. You with me? 
So we feel unrighteous at times, but God sees righteousness. What a mind-blowing, too-good-to-be-true gospel. When we feel horrible, God sees the light of day in you. When we feel like it's darkest, God sees that flame on the inside of you. And if we could see what he sees, we will come out of the darkness. We will simply mirror whatever it is that he's seeing inside of us. We will reflect that same image. I was going to read Romans 7. So we talked about this understanding the new you. We talked about how your sinful nature has been eradicated once and for all from you. We talked about this struggle with, okay, so if I still sin, isn't that a result of the sinful nature? If I still do the things I don't want to do, isn't that a result of the sinful nature? And we talked about how Romans 7 is a very controversial chapter. And it's very contradictory if you read it without context to everything else that Paul writes about, even just alone, not in Colossians, not in any other book uh, or epistle in the, in the New Testament, but just in Romans alone between Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. In the middle, you have this really confusing chapter. In Romans 6, he's celebrating the fact that I'm no longer a slave of sin. I have been free I have crucified, that sinful nature has been crucified in Christ. I've been buried with Christ and raised with him. And talking about all this victory, 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 victory. It's no longer I who live. Victory, victory, victory. And he's even kind of connecting everything he's saying to things he's going to say in Galatians. And everything is about victory, victory, victory. And then all of a sudden, defeat. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about in Romans chapter 7. I would encourage you to read it, but let me just read some of it to you right now, Romans chapter 7. He opens up the chapter with talking about how, he actually opens it up with a marriage, he gives a marriage illustration about how the law does not apply if you are dead, that's what he says. The law does not apply if you are dead, so if there's a law that if you leave and divorce your wife and get remarried, if there's a law that says you are in adultery, well, if one of them dies and they get remarried, that law no longer applies. So he's opening up with an illustration to help us understand what he's about to tell us and what he's already been telling us in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. And he goes over... To verse 4, Romans chapter 7, verse 4, it says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. The power of the law was sin. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, that the strength of sin is the law. That's why it's called the law of sin and death. So under the old covenant, Everybody was under what we call the law of condemnation, the law of sin and death. And there had to be a sacrifice made, a blood sacrifice made to atone, to remove the stain of sin. The priest would have to go into what was called the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. It was very much about works, very much about working for their salvation, working for their spiritual healing over and over again. And so one day, Jesus came along. He was called the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He was the Lamb that was slain. 
The reason why he was called the lamb is because this is what they would use often in the temple. They would sacrifice a firstborn lamb without blemish. Now Jesus comes as the firstborn, not born of a human, born of, a, of the divine. Through Mary, with unpolluted DNA, an unpolluted bloodline. No direct bloodline connection to the first Adam but directly connected to the divine. Which is why he was called the second Adam, because the first Adam screwed it up. And everybody born after the first Adam was messed up, was born messed up, was born confused, was born into like a prison, a spiritual prison. So Jesus comes, called the second Adam, to redeem them, reconcile them, take them out of that prison they were born into. He's called the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who changes everything. Okay? So the strength of sin is the law. As long as there is law, there is sin. If there was no speeding, if there was no, um, if there was no speed signs on the highway, there would be no speeding. Because what would speeding be? What would speeding be? There's nothing to say you can't do this, so it's not, you're not breaking any law. You only know what sin is because of law. You only feel sinful because the law points it out. The law in Galatians was called a tutor to bring you to the end of yourself to make you realize how screwed up you really were and how much you needed a savior. But because now you have died in Christ and been buried with him, guess what? What That law no longer applies to you. Now you're under a new law. It's called the law of the spirit of life. You know, I, I'm building towards something here. This is why I said for some of us in this room, it might go over our head. For some of us, we're going to absorb it. For some of us, we're going to be like leaving like, okay, I need to read the Bible more. Okay? So... Romans 6 celebrates the victory. Romans 7 acts like there's no victory. Romans 8 reminds us and brings us full circle and say, hey, no, but we have the victory. And I'm going to get there in a second. Let me continue reading Romans chapter 7. Let's go to verse 5. Life is a little hard to read on this. That's why I need my iPad. Verse 5. I feel like I'm getting old now. I need my glasses. Woo! Or maybe it's just the light. It's the light in Jesus' name. It's the light. It's the light. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires. What aroused the desires? The law. It's like saying, don't touch the light socket. What does the kid do? Saying, don't do something arouses a curiosity to do that something. Don't speed. I wonder what it feels like to go 90 in a 60. If there was no law, you'd be like, you just go 90. There'd be no temptation because you're not tempted to break anything. Then it says here in verse 6, But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Then he continues on. Okay, and I'm not going to go through every little verse because we just don't have time. And I don't have a clock back there to know how much time I have left because it's not working. So 
I have to glance down on my, on my iPad here. But Romans 7 gets into, and if you read the latter part of it, starting in verse 14, it starts to get really confusing. Where he's talking about, and I'm going to paraphrase here, Paul is saying, this is what happens to me. I end up doing what I don't want to do, and I, what, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I, end up, what I hate doing, I end up doing. It's talking about total defeat, which is totally contradictory to Romans 6 and Romans 8, not let alone everything else he's written about. Just alone, Romans 6 and Romans 8. And so many believers use Romans 7 to justify their humanness. I do what I don't want to do, and I, I do what I hate to do, and I just fall, man. I just fall, and I do this, these things, and I'm just like Paul. I'm a wretched man, because at the end of this chapter, he says, how wretched am I? Like, I am so messed up and so confused, and it's so confusing, and so many people over the years have misinterpreted Romans 7 to justify their defeat in life and say, well, Paul struggled too. And let me just bring clarity this morning that theologically speaking, and this has been a, a big wrestle, but most scholars, most scholars with a brain that look at Romans 7 know very obviously Paul is speaking as somebody under the law, not somebody who is under the law. Two very different realities. He was talking to, if you read the opening of Romans 7, he's addressing those that were familiar with the law. And because he was super familiar with the law, he was speaking to them now, as he was under the law, what it's like to be controlled by the sinful nature and not be set free from it. And we, we don't need to go precept, we don't need to go verse by verse to even see this. We can see this even by the fact that in Romans 6, he's no longer a slave to sin. But in Romans 7, all of a sudden, he's a slave to sin again. He's acting in the flesh. No, he's speaking as one under the law. To help people understand what happens when you put yourself under condemnation. Do you know that every time you live in a place of condemnation with your head held low, you've put yourself back under the law that you've been set free from. Last week we talked about this, about Christian necromancy, talking to the dead version of you. How sometimes we act as our own medium, talking to the dead version of ourselves is actually a form of Christian necromancy. When we dig up the old version of ourselves constantly to find junk, to find dirt, we're going to find it, and we're going to end up coming under that again, under the condemnation that that old version of you lived under. And when we do that, we put ourselves back under the law. And the strength of, the, of sin is the law. You want to live in sin, live in condemnation, and it will be a perpetual cycle of sin. But if you want to live free, continue to keep your eyes looking to Jesus, who has set you free, who is your victory, who has defeated sin in your life once and for all and destroyed your sinful nature, you will live victorious. Am I at all saying you're not going to mess up? No. I'm not saying you won't sin. Sin simply is this. This is for all of us under the roof. Sin is just simply missing the mark. People think sin is just like lying, stealing, adultery, you know, all these things, lust. No, it's, it's beyond that. It's even more than that. Sin is just not doing what you know you should do, according to James. If you know you should be doing something and you don't do it when it comes to your relationship with God, you're actually in sin. Sin simply defined as missing the target. 
that God has for you. Yes, sometimes it might feel like you really missed it, but if you miss it, you miss it. In God's eyes, there's no level. God's not rating your sin level. Be like, well, I like that guy. Yeah, he sins a little bit, but not like that guy over there. Like, man, he really sin. No, no. You've just if you've missed it, you've missed it entirely. That's why there's no super spiritual heroes in the kingdom that God's not grading you and like you have an A plus in your sin in your sin level. Like you have a C, you know, my, you have a D, you have an F. He's not grading your sin level. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of God. This is the label he's placed over you. And if you can see that, guess what? You'll hit the target more often. It's when you stop seeing how he sees you, you end up now reflecting that and miss the target. I'm a horrible person. You will miss the target. And listen, we all do that. I'm up here sharing with you how much also I miss the target. This week, man, I messed up so much with my kids, I felt horrible as a dad. I got so impatient with them during this week a bunch of times. Thank God for communication, though. Because every night I talk to my kids, and I'm like, where did I miss it today? Tell, tell me your emotion. Do you feel sad? Did I, did I do anything today that made you sad? Man, and we get the tears, and then I feel super guilty. But, and I have, to, I have to acknowledge it. I missed it. I got impatient. I have to acknowledge it. We, we foster in our home emotional communication consistently. I want to know every emotion going on in my kids because I don't want my kids to grow up bottling their emotions because we all know as adults what that does. Get it out on the table. I don't, care. I don't care what it is. How did I make you sad today? What's making you sad today? Where is your joy? Where is your fear? I want to know all of it to process the emotion because emotional sickness is the worst kind of sickness. Emotional sickness turns into physical sickness. And mostly it's emotional sickness because it's stuffed emotion. And when you stuff things, it gets moldy. It gets gross. It gets swampy. Nothing good grows in a swamp. No one likes frogs. That's why they were used for the plague. No one likes frogs. No, I, I actually can tell you stories of like really gross stories about deliverance sessions. Of what came out of people's mouths. Yeah, you would never believe if I told you. I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm not going to tell you. Because then you're going to be distracted by that. And you'll be Googling it, false prophet, Sean Gaby, and I don't want to do that, Okay. Something to note in Romans 7, 2, and I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I want to encourage you to go to it, read it, read Romans 6, read Romans 8. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned once in the entire book of Romans 7, but it is mentioned 15 times in Romans chapter 8. There's a reason for that, because when you have the Holy Spirit, you are regenerated, you are born again. When you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are living from your sinful nature. This is the premise that Paul was building. This is the life, this is what life looks like without the Holy Spirit in your life, under the law, bound as a slave to sin. But this is what the life looks like when you have the Holy Spirit in your life. If you go into Romans 8, it talks all about being led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Romans 8 verse 16 that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are children of God. 
says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Either we're led by the law of condemnation or we're led by the Spirit. If our whole focus in spiritual life is to try to get God to be pleased with us by doing good things, we put ourselves under the law. But if we are led by the Spirit, good things will happen. We will do good things as a byproduct. Do you see the difference, the mindset difference, the motivation difference? If I just treat my wife good so she can treat me good, my motivation's wrong. If I treat my wife good because I honor her and I love her and I understand what we have in covenant, I will get good things. It will just happen as a byproduct. But if I'm working for the good, man, I'm going to be disappointed. And a lot of people in their relationship with God work for the good things. They work. They work for their good in their spiritual life, and they're disappointed. But the goal of every spiritual believer in this room is to be led by the Spirit. That proves your sonship. That proves who you are. It proves your identity. Your identity is proven in who you are led by. Are you led by you, or are you led by him? Whatever it is you are led by, or whoever it is you are led by, will prove your identity. If you are led by social media and the latest fads coming out, guess what? It's going to showcase your identity not founded in Christ. If you are led by just your compassion in life for people that feel marginalized all the time, and then you can't rectify that with the truth of Scripture, you will be led down a wrong path and you are no longer identifying into the person that God created you to be identified with. As the son he's called you to be, the daughter he's called you to be, the righteousness of God. Are you following me this morning? I really hope you are. Romans, Galatians chapter 5. Let's go there for a second. Galatians chapter 5. I told Eduardo this morning, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Because I, I, I this, this I, we could go into this for three, four weeks. And I just, I didn't feel to do that. But I am going to just lay out some foundation. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Such a key. So Rome, this is directly in connect, connection with Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Those that are led by the Spirit are the, are the sons of God. Walk by the Spirit. So be led by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is also the same chapter of all the this Holy Spirit fruit. It's the same chapter at the end of this. Same chapter. Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. That, that word literally means they lie opposite to. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not so that you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 18, listen to this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law of sin and death. And if you are not under the law of sin and death, guess what law you are under? The law of the Spirit of life. You will be victorious. You will not live in defeat. Paul is addressing false teaching that has crept in, and he calls it, he calls it a bewitching in Galatians. He says to the people in Galatians, who's bewitched you? Like, you were on it, the track, but now you've put yourself back under the law again, thinking that that's where God wants you to be. You've put yourself back under a curse, he says. 
You've cursed yourself by putting yourself back under the law, no longer being led by the Spirit. You're being led by your flesh. And you're being led by your flesh because you're, you're, you're thinking that if I just get circumcised again, if I just do this again, if I do this, I do all these things, not again because you can't get circumcised again. But he was, they, 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 were, they were proponents of saying you need to get circumcised to be spiritual. They were putting people back under the law. They were being influenced by false teaching. It was all about the works, the external things, the behaviors, no longer about Christ who crucified them and set them free. That's why in Galatians he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm the one one not living anymore. It's Christ that lives in me that's driving me, that's compelling me. But the moment we forget that, we put ourselves back under the law. Some of you are thinking in your mind, like, okay, so, like, man, can I, can I live, like, in this place of never messing up? I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that you're never going to be messing up in life. But what I do know is this. If you stay reminded that Christ has set you free, you'll hit the target a lot more often. When you remind yourself of what Christ has already done in your life, past, present, and future, you'll hit the target more often. That target is God's glorious standard that we've all fallen short from. We're all gonna fall, we've all fallen short, so we need a Savior. But if you are led by the Spirit, you'll win a lot more in life. They are in conflict with one another. It says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, if you understand your sonship, You will be led by him and not by you. And, you know, this ends, and like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Romans 7, Paul is really wrestling in verse 14 and 15. Like, I do what I don't want to do. What I hate to do, I end up doing. And he ends it with saying, how wretched of a man I am. And he talks about, even in verse 14 and 15, about how he's in the flesh and sold as a slave to sin. When he's talking about Romans 6, that how you set free from slavery to sin. Once again, he's speaking as though someone under the law, two people that are familiar with the law. And then he brings it to a close into Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is the pinnacle to say, listen, I am not what you sounded like or I sounded like I was in Romans 7. I'm telling you all of this to give you a picture and an illustration of what it's like to be without Christ under the law. But now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, if you feel condemnation, you have somewhere in your life put yourself back into and under the law. The law that points out your sin, that tells you how horrible you are, that tells you you're speeding every single day, that reminds you of your failures versus pointing or putting your affection and your eyes towards Jesus who reminds you that you are the righteousness of God in him. This is why communion is so important to do this in remembrance of me. As long as we keep Jesus in the forefront of our focus over and over again, we're going to win a lot more. Every time I feel like I am not doing the best version of myself in my relationship with God, and I'm missing it a lot, when I forget. When I forget what Christ has truly done. And all of us do, don't we? 
All of us do. Christ has set me free. He set me free. He's given me patience. These are the Holy Spirit fruit. Patience, self-control, love. These, he's giving me all these things. They're in my life. I just need to manifest them. I need to showcase them. I need to be led by the Spirit. If I'm led by the Spirit, these fruits will happen. These fruits will happen. Galatians 5, verse 24 says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh, the godless human nature with its passions and appetites and desires. What is that godless human nature? We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 to 9. I'm almost done. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. He's saying, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Those that are, those that are under the law are, but you are not. Speaking of those that are moving ahead, that are believers, you are not. You are not controlled by your sinful nature, verse 9. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This is a promise. 